Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to what is the last episode of After Impact. I am your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am joined by none other than the good doctor of finesse. Hello folks, how are you doing? How are you doing, Tom? Doing well, man. It is a, a bittersweet moment that yeah. we're wrapping up the series of After Impact, but it has been a long and amazing ride, uh-huh. and I'm glad that people have joined us thus far, but we're making room for some new content that we have in development, so... Bear with us, everybody, as we uh, retune things, try something new. We're very excited to bring you some new stuff. Yep, but do more. going out on a bang with our boy, Alex Benayan. No denying Benayan. There is no denying. Yes, Alex yes. So Benayan. are we unpacking the impact? We're going to unpack the impact yes. for one last time. <laughs> the bag's packed. <laughs> let's undo it. Yes, yes. So uh, I guess let's talk about the concept of the third door. And I also want to hear your version of the third door. So the third door is a door that I've never taken. And I'm so fascinated by people that have the personality to pull this off. Like it's really pretty incredible. And hearing his stories, he's actually somebody who didn't have the personality to pull it off and still did it. And that's why I think that this is so interesting. So the concept is, he said, to get into a nightclub, there's the standard two ways. Way number one is you just wait in line like every other chump, which is exactly what I have done. (laughs) And then way number two is, you know, be a VIP of some kind, a rich kid or whatever. Uh Um, And I've always wanted to be that kind. (laughs) And then there's the third door for those people that, dude, they knock on the door, they go around back, they bribe the person standing at the back door, they dress up as the milkman, like (laughs) whatever they need to do. And you meet these people and you hear the stories and you're like, man, that's impressive. (laughs) And I've just, it, A, it's never really occurred to me to be sort of that brazen and bold. And then B, even if it did occur to me, I'm, by nature, I'm a rule follower. Yeah. And I've had to go out of my way to train myself to be a rule breaker. <laughs> because I just by nature, I'm not. And my wife is. And I remember in the beginning of our relationship, she used to make fun of me because I'd stop at yellow lights. And, and so imagine you're trying to like turn this chick on, that right? And she's like, why, why do you stop at yellow lights? And I was like, wow, I'm getting like yellow light shamed. That like is this is insane. harsh. So, yeah, I'm just not that guy. And so reading his book and hearing him talk about the people that do whatever it takes, the kind of people that can, like, sneak into the Oscars or talk their way in, it's like, yeah. how the hell do you do that? Oh, yeah. So the whole book is about that. Now, what my take on The Third Door is, is, I mean, really just how do you find a way to be valuable enough to somebody in that chain of... Um, custody that can yeah. be a door opener that can let you in that 
you, you are able to leverage what you know, the value that you have to find the person that's able to, to um, open that door for you. And that to me is the no bullshit, what would it take? No excuses, like you find a way in. Mm. And most people just can't do that. They're not prepared to, you know, shuck and jive and <laughs> come up with um, just really, really unique ways of being of value to somebody. Um, and the, the irony is that's what I've tried to do in the show is figure out like with my skill set, how can I find some hook into that person's life mm -hmm. where they're going to want to recommend somebody else to come on the show. So that's really the, the only way that it, it shows up in my life. Now, uh, what is your favorite example of a third Oh, 100%, the one that he gives in the episode. Look, and I, I maybe am a little surprised that it was his favorite, but mine should be no surprise that it was Steven Spielberg. Okay. And when you're in film school, that's such a like famous story yeah. about how he like got off the tram on the back lot. And I, that story really ingrained itself in my mind because I worked at Universal, but as a part of the New York Film Academy. Oh, no way. But we had before 9-11, man, People don't understand, like yeah. they're young, they don't understand that 9-11 is like this demarcation line. <laughs> yeah. Everything from a security standpoint changed. Everything. So pre-9-11, we had these passes because we would film uh -huh. in the back lot. And so we would just show the pass that, you know, we worked at the New York Film Academy. They were used to seeing us. And so they wouldn't even stop. In fact, if you had a golf cart, they wouldn't even stop you. <laughs> so we would just roll up in the little golf cart, which technically we had off um, the lot, so we had to drive through the security every time. And they'd just wave you on and you'd drive around. And so I could literally get out and go in the buildings and yeah. I would think like, this is like Spielberg. And then the 80s movie, The Secret to My Success with Michael Fox, how he movie. literally just sees an empty office one day as the mailboy <laughs> and posts up. And so that was always like the fantasy that you could be so rad yeah. that even though you were just like, stepping um, off the tram line or whatever, that you could then network and meet people and all that. But let's say for a second that I had gotten a corner office and I had the guts to move in. I wouldn't have introduced myself yeah, to anybody. Yeah, I don't know so, why. and uh, another person, I want this guy on the show so badly, is Brian Grazer. Oh, yes. He be. has a secret to my success yes. style mm -hmm. story, where I was like, this is so much like the movie, did they pattern it after him? I mean, it's crazy. You, you know, it's so funny. Um, I know so many third door situations, and I'm trying to think. I can't even think what's my favorite one, but uh, I think one that stands out is just every, every time there's any type of concert festival or any type of concert, when I used to book music, everyone, all my friends would always hit me up. Hey, can you get me tickets? Mm, like I did with San Diego Comic-Con? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah so and, and i would always explain to them in most cases when it comes to music those tickets were non-transferable they would say hey chris do you want to come to this or you know because you know i was booking music so they were trying to sweeten mm. the pot and get me to book their clients or whatever so i always had to explain that to people and and although i, I didn't pay for a concert for over a decade Whoa. uh festivals it's one thing i never had access to i never had just open access to i mean maybe if i asked because i don't do festivals for the porta potties alone <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling you i just won't do it forget festivals uh but maybe if i had asked they would have given me something but i never asked but every year to this day someone asked me or at least five people can you get me tickets to coachella every year and i'm always like i can't get you tickets to coachella especially not now because i'm not booking music but 
I remember there was this one friend of mine, and she asked me if I can get her tickets, and she was desperate. And I said, A, I cannot do it. B, Coachella starts tomorrow. You're not going to Coachella. Mm. She's like, all right. So then I see her Instagram feed, and she's at Coachella the next day. I'm like, what? What? How did she get tickets? Who did she get tickets from? Because she didn't know anybody. Then, as it's going along that weekend, I'm looking at her feed. She's close up to the front, and then I'm going along. She's backstage, going along. She's hanging out with, I forget who the uh, singer was. It wasn't Wiz Khalifa. It was, I forget who it was. She was hanging out with uh, one of the rappers. And all of a sudden, you go to the next day, she's hanging out with more. She's hanging out with the crew, the management, and she's hanging out with publicists that I know. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? So I finally text her. I'm like, who got your tickets? Oh, she goes, oh, I figured it out. What are you doing backstage? She goes, oh, I just walked backstage. Wow. I was like, How's that even possible? That's a, you just can't walk backstage. She goes, no, I did. I just started making conversation. I started following people. And I was backstage and hanging out. And then now, I believe, I want to say she works for Spotify. She talked her way into the music industry. Wow. She third-doored her way into the music industry. That's was, impressive. Yeah, very, very impressive. And I, I want to say a close second that's on my mind, third-door story that I enjoy, is a guy by the name of Alex Benayan. Hey. <laughs> and he basically third doored his way onto the show. Much respect. Hardcore. It, yes, hardcore. Like every he hit up, he found every because you know he talks about it in the episode finding the inside man. Right. And he found anyone who he knew. Like he's friends with uh, Mike Posner, of course. Oh, Mike, Mike Posner, Posner was lighting me up <laughs> to right. get this kid on the show. <laughs> yeah. So Mike kept hitting you up, and then he's friends with Amy Gann, who Amy seems to know everybody. Amy, of course, an ex employee of Quest, and. Uh, God, I forgot who the other friend, uh, mutual friend we have. It's someone in the industry. God, I forget who it was. Uh, they were like, you got to have Alex Benign on the show. And I was just like, wait, what? You know him too? He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, fantastic. He's Yoni fantastic hit me guy. up. Yoni hit you up. Yeah. It just kept coming. I was like, wow. He really found the inside people. Legit. I was people. like, this guy's hit me up from so many angles. <laughs> like, I want to have him on just to figure out how he does this. Like, how did you find these people in my life? It's unbelievable. Like, when Yoni hit me, I was yeah, like, what? You're like, this is insane. Jesus. <laughs> like, this guy's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So I have to give it up to him. And, and, and even in booking circles, I still talk to my friends who, you know, uh, booking is a small fraternity in TV. If you book for TV, you've crossed paths with other bookers, celebrity mm. bookers. And uh, I've had conversations. One of uh, an ex-celebrity booker, um, she now runs her own kind of publicity firm, but she also still does booking. Um, and she was talking about a great book that I should read. Any booker should read. And I said, like, what book is that? And I'm telling you, it was the end of the week that we had Alex on. And she was really? like, the third door. And I was like, oh, my God. I just had that guy on my show. She goes, no way. How was he? I was like, he's fantastic. And, yeah, so it's recommended, of course, to all types of people. College students, so on, so on. Mm. But even celebrity bookers are now talking about how they should read this wow. book. Wow. Respect. Yeah, Respect. It's insane. Yeah, and, and the thing that I want everybody listening, because there's going to be the third door reactors who become like that obnoxious yeah. ass that mm. like, you're like, I wish you had never read the third door. Yeah. And then there'll be people that actually understand what Alex did. And what Alex, like when Posner hit me up, he was like, this guy is special. Mm -hmm. Like the, he's. I can't vouch for him enough. It wasn't just like, this fucking guy won't leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. Like, please get him off my back Will you have him yeah. on the show. It was, dude, I'm telling you, if you put any stock in me, like, have this guy and read his book, check it mm -hmm. out. I think Posner sent me the book twice. So it was like, <laughs> man. So he was just like, he's one of the best people I know. So like, the key is, Alex is, A, he's a really sweet, kind, Very. generous Very. person. 
And then second, it's he adds value to people before he's making that ask of them to then go and vouch for him. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he met Posner that night, browbeat him into like sending me something. He was legitimately friends with him. They knew each mm -hmm. other. And then it was like, hey, is there any way? Yeah. So And there's a way to do it. I always tell people, people hit me up ever since I did the seven uh, tips of networking with you for the which you can watch right now which go you can to right youtube.com forward slash Tom Billu <laughs> get after Christopher's advice yes yes but I get hit up all the time on Twitter and on LinkedIn where people ask me uh, some advice of how they could you know be a better networker and so on and I always you know it's and it's one of the rules in there but I always say just be genuine uh, just be you know uh, an open and kind person when you approach people when you talk to people don't be obnoxious it's mm. it's it's as easy as that. And you see that with Alex. It goes a long, long way when you, you don't have to wear your heart on your sleeve, but you've just got to be a real and open person. And I remember when you uh, mentioned um, Alex and you said, hey, check this guy out. Mike keeps hitting me up about him. And right away I was going in thinking, you know, this, this guy is going to be great. Uh, and I started looking into him and thinking, like, wow, this guy, you could just tell from his interviews before you even meet him. And then when I spoke with him on the phone, I was like, this is a really solid, genuine guy. Mm. There's a reason why he's become such a great networker. It's a reason why he's been able to connect with Bill Gates and Larry King and so on and a bunch of the greats in their field because he genuinely is a great guy and he genuinely has this approachable demeanor. Right. And if you don't have that, pfft, <laughs> you have to start with that. you got to have that at right. least. No question. So, yeah, he has that. Um, so the difference between fearlessness and courage. Word. I love that part. Word. So uh, what's your difference between fearlessness and courage? I think Alex nailed it. And it's, oh God, is it Mark Twain that has that amazing quote? Mm -hmm. It's like, courage is not the absence of fear. It is the it acting in, in spite of it or something like that. I'm butchering it. But that, that's the idea. And I so agree with that. Like at the end of the day, so many things make me afraid. But what I'm proud of is that I assess whether or not it's going to move me towards my goals. And if it is, I do it, even if it is deeply uncomfortable. So being able to do that instead of browbeating yourself for being afraid or having fear, it's like, look, fear is a natural biological response. It is the reason that our species has survived long mm -hmm. enough to still be here. So it is from an evolutionary standpoint, it is very advantageous. So trying to eliminate fear from your life, I think is a mistake. And being paralyzed by fear is an even greater mistake. Mm. So how do you find that way to step forward, to do it anyway? And that I think is, is courage. I mean, that's like the juice. That's mm -hmm. the point of all this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just know that everybody you see that do extraordinary things, it is not because they somehow magically lack fear. It is because they've trained themselves to be courageous. Yeah, it's funny because Alex says, what, fear is my friend? Is that what he says? Uh, he agrees with He it. agrees with fear. Yeah, I agree with fear. Instead of fighting it, you agree with it. And that was interesting to hear that because you, you hear all types of quotes like fear is your enemy, conquer your fears, you know, uh, and they're, they're all legitimate. Uh, but it's interesting to hear him say, I agree with my fear. Mm. And, you know, and in doing so, you release the grip of fear. Uh, therefore, you can make a step towards courage. Uh, and I found that very interesting too because um, it wasn't until probably about 10 years ago where I started acknowledging my fears and I started no noticing that that made a huge difference because I was hiding it or I was pretending that I didn't have it or I was just looking beyond it. Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I can't. I, I just wasn't even acknowledging it. But I think it's really important, like you said, 
to acknowledge your fear instead of ignoring it. And, um, and uh, I guess uh, if there is any type of an example of it backfiring from ignoring your fears that you can think of. Like in my life? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I will say that I developed severe anxiety because I was not doing anything on a um, biological mechanistic level to acknowledge the fact that I was always in over my head mm. as I tried to gain my footing in business. And because of that, because I wasn't like meditating, for instance, or doing positive visualization or anything to combat all the fears that I had. And I just kept saying, if it makes me afraid, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, that hardwired and doing it anyway was getting harder and harder and harder. And so finally I had to be like, Argh! about the time that I, I couldn't even speak to, I think there was four or five of us in a living room with my family. I couldn't tell a story. I was like, I've let this get out of hand. So <laughs> I was like, I need to like figure out how to unwind this. Like what is happening? Yeah. And I think if in the beginning, I don't think the, the word that I would use isn't um, just to acknowledge that I was having fear. That wasn't my problem. I knew I was afraid. It was that there are neurological things that you can do, cognitive behavioral therapy techniques that you can use to keep that from continuing to escalate because it was hardwiring in my brain. Yeah. And, and sadly, I even understood the hardwiring process. So I knew what was happening. I just wasn't taking the time to unwind it because I didn't see how, like, how it was just gonna keep escalating and escalating and escalating. Because I thought, dumb things are worrying me. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, it, so it was like this, I, I can't give in to that. There's no way, this can't happen to me. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I just kept saying like, I don't know, that magically it was gonna stop because it was so absurd. Hmm. And it didn't stop and it escalated. So yeah, that, that I would say is the very obvious glaring yeah. truth of not dealing with the long-term physiological consequences of letting your fear become hardwired. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, so if you actually write down your dreams, it's easier to actualize it. Uh, I've heard this time and time again, but I don't know if it's quite worked for me. I've tried vision boards, I've tried journaling <laughs> to what make dreams come true yeah like to try to uh to oh god this is so powerful christopher i know and this is why i want to get your uh your insight on this so i want to take everybody beyond the secret now okay now the the secret the no, the secret the movie the book whatever okay yes. um that that is it's, it's half really important and half total bullshit and people get lost in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so the, the real side is what you focus on, what you think about, what you allow yourself to believe creates your frame of reference. Your frame of reference is what's possible. So your friend, you said to her, you're never gonna get into Coachella. Now, because you believe that, you didn't like go try to talk your way and you didn't do any of those things mm -hmm. that ended up being the thing that allowed her to get in. So maybe it was purely that she capitalized on serendipity that one of the guards said, um, you know, has a cousin that looked like her. And so he just had this warm feeling when she walked up. And so he starts talking and then she says something and he thinks, you know what, she's like really sweet. I'm just gonna let her back. Who knows, right? I don't know mm -hmm. how it played out. But because she believed there was a way, her frame of reference was it's possible. She put herself in a situation that allowed her to take advantage of luck, skill, whatever, I don't, I don't know. But like she took the step, put herself in the position, 
where something extraordinary could happen and it did and so there you have it. When your frame of reference is this can't happen, then people don't put themselves in that situation. Mm. They don't develop the skill set. They don't take the risk, yeah. the chance, whatever. And so nothing happens. And so both become these self-fulfilling prophecies. Okay, so that's where the, the secret is powerful because it creates that frame of reference. Now where it falls down and the reason that 99% of the world never does anything interesting is because they think that vision boards dreaming is enough. Vision boards and dreaming merely facilitate an internal neurochemical state that allow you to then go down the arduous journey mm. of actually mm. gaining the skills. So the easiest way, I'm, I'm going to build the next Disney. Now, the reason that I'm going to build the next Disney is because I'm just arrogant enough to start taking the steps to doing it. Mm. Mm. And because I know that way more than 99% of the world, 99.99999% of the world, won't even allow themselves to say it, to believe yeah. it, to take the steps, okay? Yeah. So that kills off like hand sanitizer levels of people, <laughs> right? So if it kills off 99.999% of germs, like just the, uh. the inability to create that belief stops the vast majority of people. And because they believe that their efforts won't be rewarded, they don't expend the energy. Now, you know you can't do it if you don't expend the energy, right? Did, mm. No one ever, anywhere has ever gone oh, it would be cool if I could build Disney, but I know I can't. And then they wake up tomorrow and they're fucking Disney and they have a studio, right? Yeah. Never once. Yeah. So we all know that part of the process is going down of actually gaining the skills, doing the things, trying to make the, in his case, cartoons, whatever. Now, the other people, the reason that they get killed off is as they make the cartoon, go down the process, they're going to have massive self-doubt. When they hit that self-doubt, they back off. Mm -hmm. And they either just slow down or they create, for whatever reason, they start creating a story that's their exit ramp from the dream. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, I wanted to have a family. Well, I wanted to spend more time mountain biking. Well, I, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And that off-ramp becomes, it, it, it's a story. And it's a story that when they tell people, everyone will be like, I totally get that. Yeah. And so now they don't have to feel bad. There's no detriment to who they are. And the story may be, that's impossible. That day has passed. You know, now there's, with social media and the internet, it's just too fractured. There's never going to be mm -hmm. a Disney again. The barrier to entry is too big. You actually have to compete with Disney. Who mm -hmm. could ever do that? And so, and everyone will nod when you tell them the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. And this is why I always tell the story of, you know, no excuses is really about, everything is my fault is really um, the most absurd story that I could think of that shows how truly I believe this is if my wife were killed by a meteorite, I would blame myself. Mm -hmm. And I know when I say, you know, oh, it's fate, it's nobody's fault, oh, it's a meteorite, like, who, you know, who would ever blame themselves? People are like, yeah, 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 of course, that would be absurd. And then I say, well, no, 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 I would blame myself. Mm -hmm. Then they're like, what the fuck? So to, to the just vast majority of the universe, it, there is a story of why you haven't been successful at what you want to do that, that is just very, very acceptable. And so people will greet you with a warm embrace that you were unable to do it. So if you can both create the internal belief that it's possible, and then when you're hit with that crippling self-doubt that you keep moving forward because the only thing that matters is that you can learn, mm -hmm. those are the only people that have a shot. Mm. And just, it, Christopher, I mean, like a deadly virus, it just wipes out so many people that in my moments of crippling self-doubt, I just remind myself of that. Mm. Like this is just doubt and if I keep pushing forward and keep sort of blindly stumbling forward, I'm gonna keep learning mm. because acting 
is the most data-rich information stream there is. Yeah. And so just keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I think a uh, couple of that is uh, people's fear of rejection too and not being able to deal with rejection. It's amazing um, just even talking to peers, friends, hearing how hard it is for them to deal with rejection and they avoid situations so they don't even have to deal with the rejection. They don't want to be rejected. Uh, that feeling is demoralizing to them. It's embarrassing. They feel like they're not going to recover, but it's just rejection. You know, it, it, it's, it's almost unbelievable, but I get it because I, you know, I remember being at a point in my life where the concept of rejection just terrified me. But again, you don't book or do any type of talent relations if you are afraid of rejection because you get rejected all day, every day, <laughs> constantly. So I, I think that's a big hurdle that people need to get by. Even just, you know, just talking to my wife sometimes, even a simple thing about asking someone a question and she's like, no, but they're going to say no. You don't know if they're going to say no. Just ask. I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> mm. like, but just ask. It's not a problem, you know? So it's amazing how many people even on a minor level, are so afraid to deal with rejection that it stops them in their tracks. I could only imagine people on a very big business level trying to get uh, anything that's transactional, they get stopped in their tracks because like, I, can't do, I can't do that. So how do you even move forward with any type of venture if you were afraid of rejection? Truth. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned how his friends play a third character in his book. And uh, I love... First of all, it's a, it's a great moment in the interview. You guys just left, you know, you let your guard down and he opened up. Uh, he was very gracious and thankful that you actually brought this up. Um, I think, I mean, everyone's different, but I think there's a huge misconception that people who lose loved ones, whether it's parents or whatever, that people are afraid to bring it up. Uh, people think that, oh, you can't bring it up. Don't say anything. Uh, I go back to this frequently. I remember my mom passed away. For forever, uh, no one would bring it up. Mm. Or someone would just say, my mom, in a room, and I would see a friend look at them like, don't talk about <laughs> your mom. Yeah, because he doesn't have a mom. You can't talk about your mom. Or someone asks, how are you doing um, since your mom passed away? And you can see the, just this cloud come down in the room with people who knew me, and they would look at this person who dared ask that question. Mm. But you don't want them to be completely forgotten. It's very important for them, for someone to acknowledge that person's existence or the, the fact that they existed at one point. So I saw that he was gracious for that. So two point, that's one point I want to uh, point out. Uh, but another point is he talked about his friends and how it was a defining moment, how he really started valuing his friends when he saw them carrying his dad's casket. And uh, it was, it's, you know, he learned after going through this grief and his uh, father passing away who his friends were and how great his friends were. Mm. Um, and... To me, that resonated with me because I remember, again, when my mom passed away, and I'll preface by saying I don't fault anyone for this. People, a lot of people deal with grief differently, uh, whether it's your own or someone else's. Um, but there are people who, um, through my grief and coming out of that, um, that time, I realized who my close friends were and who actually cared enough to be there for me. And it's amazing how... Sometimes when people are going through grief, people pull away. They don't want to be around it. They don't mm -hmm. want to be around it. They don't want to ask about it. They don't want to be there for you. And it was, a, it was a defining moment in my relationships. And I didn't hold it against anybody, but it was one of those things where I said, it is what it is. This person is around and they're supportive. This person is far from, from supportive. They just remove themselves. Um, 
but it's a testament to a good friendship and how you handle hard times, which he says in the interview. And that is transferable to business, relationships, whatever. It's how you handle the hard times with your, you know, the group of people you're in, whether it's friendships, coworkers. To me, that's a big testament. And I want to get your um, insight on that. Yeah, I mean, whew, the one of the most beautiful things in the human experience is connection to other people. Mm-hmm. And there's there's new research coming out that's really fascinating about how biologically toxic isolation is. So by biologically toxic, I mean it has the like same effect on your oh god, is it immune system? I forget what part it's affecting, but it's like it's as bad as smoking like 30 cigarettes a day. I mean, it was it was so crazy the impact that it had on longevity, um, life expectancy, survival rates. Like, uh, it was just bananas. So the human animal is not meant to be isolated. And anything that nature is trying to incentivize us for, it makes deeply pleasurable. So think of sex, right? Mm-hmm. So nature did not make it nearly as potent to like having a kid is not nearly as like compulsive a need for us as having sex Mm -hmm. and because it's the sex that leads to the actual procreation and all of that Mm -hmm. so there's just massive physical incentives hunger thirst same Mm -hmm. thing right they are primary primal drivers i think connection to other people is is as just primally necessary as sex, thirst, hunger. Like, we just have to have it. And Mm -hmm. my favorite study on this was they took a baby monkey and they put it in a cage with a um, wire mesh model of a monkey that had milk. And then they had a furry covered um monkey that and both were just you know mannequins or whatever and one that was free so it was like cuddling nurture and they thought that it would spend more time with the wire mesh monkey and what they found because it had food so Mm -hmm. it would associate being fed and all that and what they found was it would spend all of its time with the plush one that it could cuddle and hug and then it would dash over eat and then dash back (laughs) to the to the one that gave it a sense of connection Uh uh-huh Dude, I, I think that is so like deeply hardwired in us. So having great friends is is one of the like life's just unparalleled joys. And it's why whenever somebody asks about my marriage, I will say, marry your best friend. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's no substitute for that. Mm-hmm. The person that you can be the most vulnerable with, the most raw, that like encourages you, that pushes you, that challenges you. Um, that person, the person you most want to talk to in the world, that you most want to turn to when you're hurt, like all of that is, is the single, like people know me for my drive, my ambition, my success, but they don't listen when I say my highest priority is my marriage. Mm-hmm. And whenever they, like I try to make it such that they don't conflict often, mm-hmm. but when they do, like last night, Lisa's going to be gone. She's going to back to England to visit her family. And so I knew... I knew, I was aware, which is pretty rare, that I just need to stop and spend some time with her. So last night, 
I was like, okay, I really want to keep working on the comic. I want to keep pushing it forward. And I know that by going upstairs right now and spending time, and admittedly, this is like 9.20 at night, already past my bedtime. Uh, but I was like, I need to go spend, you know, like 30 minutes with her and just be with her. Um, and so that's what I did. And I knew that that meant that the comic was not going to be as good yeah. as it could have been. Like I, another 20, 30 minutes um, would make some amount of difference. But knowing where my priority is and knowing that, any time where we start to feel distant or disconnected, it's like whatever I'm doing, drop it, spend time with her. It's just an absolute must. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I tell that to some of my friends who are single too, who are looking for um, someone. And I always say the same thing, you know, try to find someone who you can consider your best friend, especially because you're going to be spending so much time with them. Mm. Um, yeah, Brenda and I uh, uh, mentioned this at Team Lunch the other day that she was my friend for almost two years before yeah. Yeah, we started dating, and it made a huge difference. And I've had, I would say, two long-term relationships, and in each case, they were both friends before I dated them. And uh, not to say that they have to be friends first, but it's got to be someone for sure for it to work. And, and, and I always look ahead, too, because here's the thing. We're not going to be these... Uh, young beings, uh, you know, for, you know, for too long, it gets to a point where your body withers, and you know, uh, those desires aren't quite there, and uh, you know, we get old looking. Who knows how you feel, your attraction, how it remains, whatever. But when that's stripped away from us, you got to have that friendship. You've got to, because uh, suddenly that contempt will sink in, sink in really quickly. And I actually had this friend once, and I, you know, uh, and he was referencing another friend and. Uh, this uh, woman uh, that he started dating and he was like, oh man, I won't say their names, but he was like, so-and-so, man, his girlfriend is so hot. Now he's just like, he's going to be engaged to her soon because we knew that he was going to propose to her. And he's like, I need to find someone like that. I need to find a woman who's hot like that. I was like, is that your priority to find someone who's just hot? Because, and and, and it's so funny because it was indicative of the the 15 years that followed. Mm. Because to this day, just the women that he meets are just gorgeous, hot women. Mm. Uh, and not to say that a gorgeous, hot woman can't be your friend or can't have substance. But in this town, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lack of substance when you come across people like that. Um, and, yeah, it's just been one disaster after another because he keeps going after just the gorgeous, hot women without building a foundation or being mm. friends with them. Because, again, you know, I, I Clint Eastwood, actually, I'm not going to say There's a quote that Clint Eastwood said. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm not going to say it, but it regard, it's regarding, to, uh, you know, after being physical with someone after a while, it's going to be boring. And uh, when that's when the boredom sinks in, if you have nothing else surrounding it and you're dead in the water. I remember <laughs> I, I read this quote. I don't remember where, but the guy said, show me a just amazingly beautiful woman and I'll show you a man who's tired of sleeping with her. <laughs> and and. It's obviously on the surface, it's it's not necessarily true, but it gets at a fundamental truth, which is, like you said, ultimately we all turn into a bag of wrinkles. And if all you have is that physical um, attraction and there's nothing deeper there, you're missing out on such a beautiful and fundamental thing in life. And that's what I loved about what Alex was talking about with his friends and, you know, how emotionally he got. And, like, when you've got a group of people that you just feel that close to, um, you know, that love you, that challenge you, that, that are there for you, like in the moment that he talks about in the episode where they just step in and carry the casket, which is such a beautiful mm-hmm. and heartbreaking moment. Um, can you really ask for much more than that? Like, mm-hmm. you really can't. Like, mm-hmm. there's... 
Like anybody that, that is just chasing the dollar, I will tell you right now, money will never bring you a moment as beautiful as that. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, ever, ever. Um, I want to talk about the concept of the inside man. I alluded to it earlier. Uh, the inside man and the advantage, the advantages of having an inside man or an inside person and speak in generalities. Um, I don't think people realize uh, the importance of that enough. I don't think people, you know, they try to go in blindly, which is fine. But um, I think in business, in relationships and all things, it's important to have an inside person. Do you agree? I don't want to agree. So let me really think about that. Um, It's insanely powerful. There's something in my belief system that won't let me say that is necessary. (laughs) I don't think it's necessary. It it is. It's very, very powerful. There's no question. Having a champion. um, And this is partly why I always tell people your job, your job, your (laughs) job is to leave other humans in awe. Yeah. And that's how you get your inside person a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Like you've added value to them. You've touched them in some way. They want to champion you. They love what you do. They're impressed by your abilities. And that's where you really get somebody that will go to bat for you. But yeah, thinking about a lot of those stories, man, he's right. Like there was somebody there that was the inside man. Steven Spielberg, certainly a classic case of that. You know, somebody took him under their wing and ultimately ended up really, really vouching for them. Um, you know, Alex had his own inside man here mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to win us over. So, yeah, it, it is. It's insanely powerful. So you um, you tapped on what I want to talk about. And my concept of having an inside person is almost like it comes to, uh, from the school of Jordan Harbinger. It's um, the preemptive strike. Mm. Uh, and I talk about it every time I have a talk with the interns here because always, we always have to set aside some time to speak with the interns when they first start, just to give them an idea of what we do and what to look forward to, just in general. It's, um, and it's always important to me to let them know to just be careful not to burn any bridges. And it's not even just like, oh, don't burn bridges. It's to nurture relationships and to understand that this world is tiny. Tiny? <laughs> as big as this world is, man, it... Something can come back and bite you in the ass so quickly. I've seen it a thousand times over. And if you want to work in, uh, I would speak for the Hollywood industry, it's even tinier. It's ridiculously small. And you've just got to be careful. So put aside the caution. Think about how it's going to help you in the future. Leave a lasting impression. It's a huge thing for me. It's a huge thing. You have to leave a lasting impression and a genuine, a genuine lasting impression. You just got to be great at what you do. You, and even if you're not great yet, your drive has to be there. You have to impress somebody, right? Because in the long run, it will help you immensely. Even if it's 100% your talents that's going to help you in the long run, having that person who's going to vouch for you, even if it's just in a boardroom or even if it's like, you know, uh, uh, if you got a product to sell and someone just goes out of their way to say, oh, check out this person's product. Because people don't just I mean, we're in a world of social media and people asking for that quick reference or on LinkedIn. Can you do a recommendation for me? It's insane now with the access that we have uh, with social. Now, how many people will ask you, hey, can you recommend uh, uh, me to this person or can you introduce me to this person or can you make a connection it's insane and I won't do it if I don't believe in a person hands down I just won't mm. uh, so that's why 
to me, the concept of the inside person isn't just having an inside person that gets you in a door. It's someone that you're thinking preemptively who, uh, that you're leaving a lasting impression on. So that's Dude, why it's important. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm embarrassed to say, Shai Lu, Chai Lu? Chi Lu. Chi Lu. Okay. So was that, who was, I meant to look that up because you guys talked about it for a bit and I, I wanted to learn more about him. Was he at, uh, at Microsoft? Yeah, and I forget his exact title at Microsoft, but he's one of the executives. Okay. And yeah, he was born in a very rural, poor part of China and just through becoming a total badass is able to finally capitalize on quote unquote luck. Mm. And what I love about this story is that Chilu's punchline to his life is that luck is like a bus. It comes around over and over mm. and over and over and over and over. And I want people listening to understand luck, luck is going to be there for you. The question is, will you have the fare to get on the bus? Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about Chilu's story mm -hmm. is there were a lot of people sitting in that audience that day when the guy from Carnegie Mellon came to speak. And so the whole thing is Chilu couldn't afford to take the entrance exam to a, an American university at a time where getting an American education in China would be wildly advantageous. Mm -hmm. uh, couldn't afford to do it. Guy from Carnegie Mellon comes and there's a whole bunch of things that make him being in the audience at that moment true luck. And he's sitting there and he's asking amazing questions. And so the guy, to your point about you've got to make a lasting impression, Chi Lu, by asking these questions, makes a real impression on the speaker. And so at the end of the talk, the speaker's like, hey, what's your story? You were asking really amazing questions mm -hmm. about a pretty esoteric topic that not a lot of people understand. And Chi Lu had actually written five papers on the topic. And one of the ways that he had been able to be so prolific was working on getting his sleep needs down to a minimum. So he's got more time than other people. He's put in the work on this project. And so when the opportunity presents itself, the bus shows up, he has the fare to get on, which is the knowledge, the talent, the skill in that area to leave a lasting impression. And now he's able to capitalize on that. So I'll give an example from my own life. So I graduate film school. I'm feeling like a total failure. I'm hopelessly lost. And then I start teaching and anything that I do, I'm gonna do all the way. I don't half-ass anything, never have. Like I'm all the way fucking in. And so I'm going ham at this thing to try to get great at it, which is teaching. And I realize in the process of teaching that, whoa, I'm able to make their films better. Could I make mine better? And so I'm spending just an inordinate amount of time. When I'm an obscure teacher, nobody knows who I am. The internet essentially doesn't exist. Social media certainly does not exist. I don't think, oh, I'm doing this to impress other people. I'm doing it because I want to get great. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to get good and I'm working all night. And my wife is like, Jesus, you're, like, you're really killing yourself. And I would work my ass off all day and I would come home and I would just study film all night to put lesson plans together to get really good. And then people come in that ultimately end up changing my life, which is the two guys that end up being my partners. And they see me talking about film and how to use narrative and all that. And they're like, whoa. Now, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't been putting all that time in to get good, mm -hmm. to get my fare to get on the bus. Then they give me, the only opportunity they give me is to be a copywriter. Mm. So then it was like, well, am I going to get extraordinary at that? So I'd like pour myself in. And so I end up turning myself into a partner. It's like, dude, luck is there at all times. It's just a question of whether or not you're able to take advantage. Uh, it, it's actually pretty fascinating. The number of times something has presented itself in my life and I've been the only one, like of all the people that are met in that same moment with the same opportunity and I'm the only one that was prepared for it. Wow. And it just happens 
over and over and over and over. Like one of my favorite quotes is luck favors the prepared. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. are yeah. you ready for it? Yeah. Like, or do you wait until it presents itself and then scramble? Yeah. It's like, you've got to be prepared. Even down to the celebrity that were, in fact, I was looking at it. Uh, I won't point at it because too many people may be familiar with this, but like just at a camera uh, is, I don't know if you, can you read what it says? Don't uh, read it out loud. Yes. Okay, okay. So knowing what we're doing with them now and what it's yeah, called yeah, and all yeah, of that. Uh -huh. But when he wrote that, he didn't yeah. have any idea that we would end up doing a story together, that we'd no. create this comic and all that stuff. So that is me like, okay, he comes on the show. We have a real connection. And then afterwards I say, hey, we should do a comic together. And they say yes, because I've spent my whole life preparing to be great at film, uh, storytelling. I spent an inordinate amount of time getting good at interviewing so that I could make a mm -hmm. lasting impression on somebody. Mm -hmm. So, and now it all comes together and you could paint it as, oh, it's just luck. Or you could realize that I've worked my fucking ass off to be ready for moments that present themselves like that. That's, that's a fantastic example. <laughs> All right. With that, guys, we're going to have to wrap up. This was, again, as a reminder, this was our final episode of After Impact. For those that have been with us through the whole thing, thank you so much. We are making room for some new content. We're going to be trying some new things. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. If you're not already subscribed, by the way, to YouTube, which is where the new stuff will start, be sure to go there, um, youtube.com forward slash Tom I'm excited to see you guys there. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.